Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Hoda. Hi, I'm Hoda, compulsive overeater. Hi, I really hate microphones. Everyone can hear me okay, I'm sure. Okay, so I'm Hoda, compulsive overeater. Um, I used to go to this meeting on a semi-consistent basis a couple years ago, um, but I'm from uh, the studio city area, so I usually go to meetings out there. So the call I have six years of abstinence, and I actually just uh, took my six-year candle on July, July 5th is my abstinence date. Um, and in terms of getting the numbers out of the way, I lost, you know, I wasn't really weighing myself at the time, nor am I now, and so I probably lost um, like 25 pounds, I dropped a couple of dress sizes, so it wasn't like a huge amount of weight, of course, to me in my head it was. Um, the recovery for me was so much more than the weight. Like, the weight was happened. I was struck abstinent in four months, and once I was, that obsession was lifted. And so I consider myself to be very lucky in that regard. The emotional part, the spiritual part, did not come that easy for me. And, you know, on my first year anniversary, first birthday, I took a candle, and one of my fellows had written on my card at our meeting, we send a card around, we all sign it, So don't leave before the miracle happens. And I was like, wait, isn't this the miracle? Like, isn't the weight loss the miracle? And I just never really got it. So, until now. And so, on my sixth um, anniversary, I wrote myself a letter, and I'd like to read it. Um, I've only read this at one other meeting. Um, okay, so Tuesday, July 5th, 2016. Dear Hoda, six years ago, you walked in the doors of Overeaters Anonymous and took the first step for the person you are today. You are filled with anger, resentment, and pain. You held, the, you held the delusional belief that you are a nice person and all of your problems are because you were fat. Little did you know that your problems weren't because you were fat, your problems were because of you. It wasn't easy being a fat, ugly kid in school. I know that you were made fun of constantly, and school was not a pleasant place to be. I know that mom always harped on your weight and compared you to Jasmine. I acknowledge your pain. You think you're a victim, but you're not. Victims stew in the juices of resentment until addiction comes calling. You wish life was different than it is, but it isn't. Wishes are for children, and you're not a child anymore. You are a woman in recovery. It's time to let go of the past and let go of blaming others and take responsibility for you. You've been searching for the key to happiness. Let me tell you a secret. You've been searching for the wrong thing. What you really want is the key to contentment. It's a sex for long-lasting and all it takes to unlock the door are acceptance and gratitude. And that includes acceptance of you. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. How do I know? Because that's where you are. You don't have the amount of humility needed to make amends to your sister. And that's okay. You've made mistakes. You've acted in ways that don't live up to your standards of integrity. You can't demand respect when you won't even give it to yourself. You will struggle to accept others until you can accept yourself. You are not a victim. There are things within your control, but how people react to you is not one of them. Making people different than who they are is not one of them. 
You can set boundaries, you can say no, and you can do it kindly. You may have noticed that God keeps showing you the same lesson over and over again until you learn it. So learn it already. Six years ago, you were angry, resentful, stubborn, and envious. You were being eaten alive by yourself. Not by your mom for helping on your weight. Not by your dad for trying to control you. Not by your sister for not being able to commit to anything. They have all been pretty consistent over the years. But you keep expecting something different. By definition, you're the crazy one. You're a woman in recovery. Don't leave before the miracle happens. And it already has. You have been given the precious gift of abstinence. Hold on to that at all costs. But also know that weight loss and abstinence from food obsession are not the miracles of this program. You have grown so much over the past six years, and I am so proud of you. Today, you have let go of anger and resentment. Today, you can be happy for other people's successes without feeling like it takes something away from you. Today, you are of service to others. Today, you are not filled with fear and anxiety. Today, you have so many people in your life that care about you. Today, you are able to love and be loved and know that you are worthy of that love. Today, you forgive yourself and you forgive others. Today, you are grateful for what you have in your life right now, exactly as it is, not what you wish you had. Today, you know that achievements and accolades won't fill your heart. Today, you smile more and laugh more. Congratulations. You've been granted the ninth step promises. And that is the real miracle of this program. And today, you are just another miracle of this program. Neither above nor below anyone else. Just a girl in the crowd who lost her way. And through the gift of this program, is finding her way forward to what she never thought was possible. Still learning, still growing, still peeling back another layer of the onion. And so that's what I wrote um, to myself. And I'm going to backtrack and go through what it was, what it was like. So I, I've always been overweight um, child. I was like the ugly duckling. Um, and my sister was like, we're 13 months apart. So there's already a lot of competition. And she was always, you know, the thinner one and the smarter one. And in our culture, it's like, whereas I think in American culture, it's like the baby of the family gets spoiled. Yeah, it's the oldest. It's the one that, you know, it's like I can control my birth rate, but um, my birth position. Um, but it was always like, why can't you do like your sister does? Or, you know, things like that. And so I always felt, I find it hard to remember anything that didn't have to do with weight or didn't have to do with weight loss or didn't have to do with comments that were made about my weight. It is really hard for me to remember anything else. And I felt that not just that I didn't feel like people liked me because I was heavy or because I was unattractive, but that I didn't think I deserved it. Like, I wasn't worthy of it. Like, I was doing it to myself. Um, but I don't think my obsession really started until I was 17. Because when I was 17 is when I went on the first um, commercial diet program. And I went on Jenny Craig. And that's when, you know, ironically, the weight goes down. But, like, this in the head goes, like, tenfold, right? And that, to me, is the disease. And... I would, as I, you know, graduated high school, went to college, I, it was like everything. It was like, I used to work out five, six days a week, and everything was, had to revolve around that schedule, you know, or I need to eat at a certain time, so 
like, I can't eat out because I don't want, I'd go, I'd go to restaurants with people and I would just order a salad, like a plain salad, because I couldn't eat. I just, like, I wouldn't allow myself to eat. And I had this really great, you know, ability, great, probably not the right word, but this ability to, like, I was, it was black or white. I was either perfect or it was like, whoa, what's the point? And, you know, I'd start over. And I kind of had this thing where, like, one day a week was a binge day. And I could control my weight that way. I wasn't, like, thin, but, you know, I was, it was always sort of a struggle because of the stuff I had to, to do to maintain it because I was binging. And I was an isolator. I didn't want to go out. when I, By the time I came into this program, I, I had one friend, one, because I didn't, want to socialize like I was scared of socializing and I was scared of people and you know I would go on a diet and then I would binge and then I would go on a diet and then I would binge and it just became like everything and I held this resentment against my mom and my sister for that long probably unconsciously to a certain extent um because I say I shared the whole meetings that it's like my mom would tell me, would always be like, I can still see it. You know, you need to lose weight or, you know, that's not a good snack or don't eat that. And, you know, that just makes it even worse. And it's like that's all I remember her saying, but she said other things, too. I mean, it's like she always used to be like, when I was younger, I was like this really good look at things like, you know, spelling. And she would always be like, call me her super speller. And she would call, this is the one that always helped out around the house, and she'd call me mommy's little helper. And so it's not like she didn't do other things or say other things, but 98% of my memories are not about anything unless it has to do with weight. And I had this belief that once I reached a certain size, then I would be happy. And, you know, there's a, there's a quote in uh, for today, I think it's like April 12th or something. And I meant to like read it today just to refresh myself on what the actual exact quote is. But basically the ultimate um, sentiment is that the greatest happiness I can have is realizing that I don't need happiness, but I don't require happiness. And I find, and I, you know, it took me like six years to, to really get that. Because happiness, I don't know if anyone's ever noticed how happiness works. Get really excited. Usually when something happens or you got something that you wanted, and the second you tell somebody about it, it, like, goes down like that. And it's, like, gone. It is the hardest emotion to, like, maintain. It is the contentment. I didn't get contentment until, like, a year ago. And I'll go into that in a minute because I have 30 minutes. <laughs> You're gonna lost the story there. <laughs> so, and I can talk to you the whole time. Okay, don't worry. Um, so, I'm currently on step nine, but I'm gonna go back to when I came into the program. Okay, so I came into the program in um, March of 2010, and, you know, it was because a friend had, had recommended I'd seen therapists. I was going to a really just sad time in my life. You know, I had a master's degree, but I wasn't, but I was barely paying my bills, and I was just, I was really just sad and depressed, and so I went and I saw a therapist, and then eventually one of my friends had told me about OA and said, give it 10, just go to 10 meetings and see before you make a decision, and so I did, and I remember the first meeting I went to, I 
I wouldn't even identify as a compulsive overeater for a long time. We would get into the meeting that, of course, you could identify yourself, go around in a circle and identify yourself, and I would not say compulsive overeater. Say, hi, I'm Hoda. You know, move on to the next person. Because I just was very... Like we talk about in the, in the book, the ego has to be smashed. It's so true. It's so true. And as funny as that is, it's like I never heard one word about the ego until I worked with my friend's sponsor. Oh, I'm on sponsor number six. And <laughs> 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 my sponsor's going to look at this and be like, right, I lasted. She, I've been with her for three and a half years. Sponsor number six, three and a half years. Bless her heart. She is the gift of my life because she has put up with a lot for me. As a previous sponsor, it said, you're not the pushover sponsor. So, sorry. Um, I, so I came in. I worked with my first sponsor. She has known me. She is one of the people that I say I love. She's not here today. She couldn't be here today. Um, but I, that I truly love because I had been abstinent for 30 days, and she had told me she can't sponsor me anymore because I'm not willing. And I was like, I was afraid that if I didn't have somebody there, that I would I would lose my abstinence. And was it true that I wasn't willing? Well, yeah, pretty much. And again, I was in this, like, workout zone. Like, I, I couldn't give up a day of working out to go to a meet. Like, I, that was absurd to me. Like, I couldn't do it. And granted, I was still in the weight loss stages at the time, um, but I had this, I've always had sort of like this panic, I have to do it perfectly, I have to do it perfectly. Um, that was really the greatest gift I could have gotten. She stayed with me the whole time, just every time, every time this happened, she's like, okay, what happened now? You know, and it's like, she's always helped me find somebody else, but she has never sponsored me which is a good thing. But she's known me for six years, and she knows like, she knows my recovery better than anyone else, probably, better than I do. Um, so I moved on, you know, from one sponsor to the next. And it, it's just so you all know, it's not, it's a couple of them relapsed. You know, it wasn't <laughs> that horrible to everybody. But, you know, I've experienced what it's like, you know, God works in mysterious ways, because I got a couple of little sponsors myself. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me right now? How did you put up with me for this long? Like, I, it's just like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So my biggest problem was the ego. And as my sponsor and I talk about the ego, it's like what automatically comes to my mind at first is like being egotistical, which is not what we're talking about. Talking about like this need to be identified as someone. Like to be identified as a writer. To be identified as pretty. You identified as smart. You identified as someone with a master's degree. It's like whatever it is. It's like I needed to be identified as someone in order to be important. You know, rather than just being someone. You know, when Andrea, who's actually one of my sponsor's sisters, we share the same sponsor, asked me, I was like, at first I was like kind of flattered, and then I was like, what am I flattered for? And not to be like an insult at all, because this is like a meeting that has a podcast, it's a meeting where people have a lot of abstinence and recovery, and I always looked at those people as like kind of above, and there's nobody above. Just somebody sharing their experience, strength, and hope, and that's it. And 
you know, so, you know, I'm happy to be here, but I was feeling like a little bit, I'm never anxious. I, I like speaking at meetings because I feel, as interesting as it is, I feel filled up after I've shared rather than what I guess most people would think of, like, I've emptied it out and now I need to be filled up again. Um, but because I want to share, and I'm so thrilled, there are so many newcomers here, I'm so thrilled because when I came in, I was kind of like, what is this about? Like, what am I to do? And I was a very reluctant person in these rooms, a reluctant fellow, but I never left for some reason. Like, I kept staying, so I was getting something out of it. Um, and, you know, I had certainly had years where I had periods of working the program stronger than other periods of working the program. Um, I by no means do it perfectly. Um, and I was trying to think where to go next. Um, so I went through, you know, I always thought that like a spiritual experience or a spiritual connection was supposed to be like a burning bush or something really obvious and and, you know, I kept thinking I was doing it wrong. Like, I kept thinking everything I was doing must have been doing it wrong. And I now know that it doesn't have to be any of that. You know, like, how do you pray? Because I didn't grow up, like, I didn't, wasn't praying. I never had the issue of not believing in God. That was never an issue for me. It wasn't that I was um, not not believing so that's why I didn't want to pray. It was that I didn't know how to do it, or I felt like I was doing it wrong, or I felt like it was like a betrayal of my parents. And I didn't tell my parents about program until like a year ago, my birthday last year. Um, you know, my mom bless her heart over here, but that's okay. Um, and I now know that a prayer can be thank you. Like it doesn't have to be on your knees. It doesn't have to be hands in prayer position. It most certainly can be. Um, and, you know, my sponsor had me start reading Step 11 the other day, or last week. And I'm currently on Step 9, as I have been for what feels like 17 years. And I'm like, I still have a couple of, you know, minutes to make. I'll get to that in a second, please. Um, so what I found out it just is really enlightening for me to, to hear that, you know, it says that we're praying for other people, but that praying for other people with the results in mind is still self-will. And I was like, huh, that is really interesting. The only prayer really you need to do is thy will not mind be done. And I usually follow it with thy will, may thy will and my will be one. Um... I remember when I was, like, on the third step, I um, I said I always had a problem with the third step because I was afraid that if I surrendered, then what I wanted wouldn't happen. And I thought, like, do you really think you're stronger than God to make that happen anyway? Like, it's still, you're still not going to control that. And, you know, it happens when it happens is all I can say. I will say that I do think that half measures avail of something, but they only go so far. Um, and then it's like, they don't anymore. Um, so, I had, I always like to 
share this just because I feel like it's not honest if I don't. I had been through five years of the program, never left. One thing I did publicly is I never left. Nothing else I did publicly. Um, and the food issues were, I don't want to say gone, but they were certainly in remission. But I just had a freaking problem with, it. you couldn't give me feedback. You'd get this tone that I would start getting, and it sounds kind of like this, and I'd be really annoyed, and you know, my sponsor loves it. Um, and it would just be like, I couldn't, I did not have humility. And when my sponsor would tell me, you do not have humility, I'd get really offended, but I could never just sit in the vulnerability of having someone tell you that. Having someone tell you, and now not getting defensive, one of my major character defects, but just sitting in what it feels like to be to have that said about you. Because honestly, if, if I didn't think it was true, it wouldn't bother me. You know, everybody is a reflection. Everybody is a reflection. And the things that really, like, get at me and those sit, like, right here and just resentments about to come or already is there are things that I already don't like about myself, and somebody else is just cleaning them out to me. Um, my dad once said to me, you know, you're just like your sister. You think you're different, but you're not. And I was like, excuse me, but that's the biggest insult you could have given me. And so, anyway, so I had five years of basically doing that, but I kind of felt like I was spinning my wheels in a way. Um... You know, my sponsor and I have a conversation of, you, maybe this isn't the right thing for you. I can't tell you how many times we've had a conversation where I thought I was going to need to sponsor number seven. And I didn't. And that's just such a testament to her to have that recovery, honestly. To have so much serenity and so much recovery that you can push past that for three and a half years. It's just amazing. I'm like one week of dealing with someone like me, and I'm like, that's it. Um, so... Anyway, so I have, back in 2011, I started developing a lot of stomach issues. I got seven food allergies, like one after the next, after the next, after the next, and I was like, are you kidding me right now? And I had periods of, like, going to urgent care and eating and then feeling like I was going to be sick, and then, like, it was like, oh, it could be your gallbladder, it could be this, it could be that, and no one could find anything, of course. And so, by default, I was diagnosed with IBS. And tried all sorts of medications, didn't work. Um, and so my doctor, just kind of like a last resort kind of thing, had prescribed for me an antidepressant because there's um, the connection between the gut and basically everything else. Because like 90% of your serotonin is actually in your stomach, not in your brain. Um, and so that's why it's it used, and this one particular drug was known to have actual evidence around it that it works for IVS. I had it filled, but it sat in my cabinet for like seven months. And I finally said, you know, went to see a psychiatrist just because it's a medication that, you know, I'm not familiar with, and decided to take it. I even asked him, I said, I heard it's really hard to get off of. Is that really true? And he says, no, it's just like, it doesn't make anything else. So I did it for IBS, and it's like you don't know what you're missing until suddenly you have it. It was the key that opened. It, I didn't think I had any problems up here. Like, I didn't need anything. I wasn't looking for it, but it was amazing. It was like what it did for me 
is it took me and it got it out of my way. Because that's been my problem, is me getting in my own way. And suddenly, it was like I was just content. I was content with what I had. I was content with what I had right now. Same like I had a week ago. That I just like nothing's going my way, and why can't I have this? And I'll be happy when this happens. And suddenly I was okay. And suddenly I was fine. And suddenly I didn't care if somebody else got a compliment, and I didn't, because I had this very firm belief for a very long time that if something good happened to somebody else, it took something away from me. And you know that's a really tough place to, to be living in. So always feeling like you're in competition, or somebody's going to steal something away from you, which probably isn't mine anyway, but. You know, like there's limited goodness in the world that I have to get mine before somebody else gets there. Um, I was like calm. I was a calm, rational, reasonable person. And I mean, I went through a lot of side effects. I went through like two months of insomnia, but it was such, it was so, I wasn't willing to go back because that's when I started like listening and I started being open minded. And I started being willing. And, you know, it was like all all of these things, and it was like I never thought that I would ever see that. The only problem was it made me really tired, or I thought it made me really tired. And so I was, you know, taking other medication that I had already been on, but just kind of upping the dose myself to compensate for it, and finally I went into my doctor, and I'm, like, having, like, a mental, uh, emotional breakdown there because I gained nine pounds, and, like, since October to June, and I was, like, I couldn't stop crying, and I was so tired, and I was, like, is there just any end to this? And, you know, one of the um, fellows had actually said, like, I knew that when you walked in the room, I knew that day that you shared about the gratitude that you were on, that you were on medication, and... I know that there's, like, a whole, like, controversial thing about medication in these rooms, and I'm not talking to the people that don't agree with me. I'm talking to the people that maybe can be helped. Because I think that if more people were on medication, there would be less murders. Um, and if you don't have the chemical imbalance, it won't work anyway, so you're safe. Um, and I'm certainly not advocating and saying, hey, go try this drug. I'm not even tell you what it is. But the reason my doctor has to take me off of it. And so here I was, like, that means I'm going to go back to the way it was. So what happened was, this is a very, very, very difficult medication to get off of. It was like, I was like, oh my God, this is like even worse. I thought I was so tired then. So basically I went through since June. I've been going through this three-month period of hell, basically. Um... And realizing later, I'll skip the whole story, that what happened is my body was metabolizing it too quickly, so I was actually going through withdrawal in between doses, and that's what the feeling of fatigue was about. And once we repaired that, I could feel like normal. I mean, I was battling staying awake, driving home from work. I just, it was, it was just so frustrating. And, you know, I was talking to another um, sponsor sister, and she said to me, you know, there's a reason God is having you experience this. You don't know what it is right now, but there's a reason for it. 
And I was thinking as I'm driving home talking, I'm thinking, what could I possibly have done? Like, what did I do that would be this awful that I have to go through this? And my sister is bipolar. And I've always said that it's not that I don't believe that she's bipolar. It's just that I don't think her behavior is a result of being bipolar. Like, she has no power over it. She just has to be like this. And I was having a whole really, the one I think the worst, the worst days, um, and I, you know, taking the, the medication at night because I'm thinking it's going to help in the daytime, and it took a little earlier, and I said, I was brushing my teeth, and I was like, oh, I get it now, because when I was, when this was happening with me, I had yoga, like, I would snap at everything, I was extremely irritable, and then I would feel so bad when it was done, like, I didn't mean for this to happen, but it's like I had no power over it, and I got it, because I've been struggling for, I cannot tell you how long, about what my amends are to my sister, I was convinced I had none, and she had amends to me, you know, but it was like, I didn't know what they were, and it wasn't that I wasn't willing to make them, although I had periods of that, too, um, but I didn't know what they were, what they authentically were, so that I felt like I was, I don't want to deliver something that's not true to me. And then I got it. And I was like, I have felt, sort of, I got in a taste, at least, of what she goes through. Um, and, you know, during that time, During that, because I'm not saying I just want to also qualify. I am not saying that a medication takes the place of program. Otherwise, I would not be here. I wrote this in withdrawal. I made amends to my mom in withdrawal. I spent forever, like, the six months at least, I was, like, ready, self-authentic amends. And, in fact, I kept putting them off. Because I wanted it to be the perfect place, the perfect time, the perfect, you know, my head was okay. I didn't feel like I was really drained with energy. I wanted to see a nice restaurant. I wanted all these things. My father's just like, take her to her room and make the amends. Like, this is going on long enough. And so I was, I was working a job down in Irvine for a couple of days. And, you know, I got up early and I went. And I, you know, I was also, like, doing this whole role-playing thing with my sponsor because the last thing I want to do is go make amends and then have to get irritated and have to make amends for that. And so all the things that I was worried about never came up. She just listened to me. And I was, like, emotional, which surprised me that I was, you know. And so, you know, I made amends to my mom. I had previously already made amends to my dad. I was very anti-climactic. And I figured out what my amends were to my sister. And I cannot tell you how many years I've spent trying to figure out what they are. And to be able to, to know that, to know what that is, that's just, like, that's so amazing to me. And, you know, I'm going to, um, really quick story. One of my other fellow, a fellow, like, loves this story. She thinks it's the best story of recovery. And then I want to get some kind of questions if anyone has any. Um, so she had a cat that needed a home. A friend of hers that had a cat down on the street needed a home. And she's a beautiful cat. And I love cats, but I'm allergic to them. But I said, I'll try it, but I'd have to try it for, like, a week in my apartment to see. This is the sweetest cat ever. She's a long-haired cat, and I was surprisingly not super allergic to her. A little bit, but I could have dealt with it. And, but I was having so much anxiety over, 
oh my gosh, there's going to be a litter box in my house, and it's going to make a mess, and what if something happens to her, like, 20 years from now, and I have to, like, take her, you know, she dies, or I have to take her to the doctor, and I was, like, a freaking, like, it was, like, she would ask me, so we decided, and I'm like, I don't know, so I'd be yes, and I'd be no, and I'd be like, oh my god, why is she so cute? You know, and it's like, I finally had to say, again, it was one of those things where I didn't know what I was missing until I got it. And she brought in so much love into my life. And when she left, I had her for five days. When she left, I just felt like there was an emptiness inside. And so it was a couple months later, and I was like looking at, you know, websites for adoption. And I was on the Siamese, um, the Southern California Siamese Rescue, and because I've heard that they're more of a hypoallergenic cat and not as many allergens. And I saw this cat and I said, that's my cat. It was a gut reaction. I've not had something like that before then. But I just said, that's my cat. And most people thought it was insane, but that's okay. Um, and I asked my manager if I could have one. He's not my least because I can. He's like, sure. And so he, picks, takes, he generally takes forever to do stuff, but he... He um, took his time, like, finding it that I could have one, but I was still, like, not panicking because I knew that was my tent. And then all that stuff all approved and um, found out she's in Bakersfield. And I told my friend Brandon this, and he loves cats as much as I do. And he's like, we're going to go drive two hours each way for a cat? And I said, yeah, I have to. She's my cat. And so I took my mom with me, which Kate Zach's been driving the whole way. Awesome. And I, and we, we went there, and this woman had four other cats. And so I felt the allergy, but I didn't know where it was coming from. And this cat would not let us touch her. Like, she was afraid of strangers. And I just said, I'm going to take her. A, I drove two hours, and I just had a feeling that I wasn't allergic to her. And I just, I just knew this was my cat. And we took her, we took her outside, put her in the cat carrier, and once we got outside, it was fine. Not a single allergy. Took her home. She's brought so much love into my life. And I don't think, I have not had one single worry about paying for a vet bill, or what if she gets sick, or a litter box in my apartment. Nothing. It's amazing. Because it was only like a couple months later that this happened. And to me, like, God doesn't work through like these obvious signs of like a burning bush. God works through an animal like this. Like, this has been to be able to type, take care of an animal, to be able to be outside of myself. I'm single, I live alone. You know, I work from home, so I'm very isolated anyway. It's just, it's such an amazing thing. And I'm just so grateful for this program and to be here. And so I'm just going to end it there. So thank you for inviting me to share. Five minutes for questions. Yes. Yes. So again, yes, she asked, do I have a morning routine? My morning routine ideally looks a little like this. I call my sponsor three times a week at 8.45. I am also sponsoring, so I, um, I take her call at 9.15. And then I read, I do several things in the morning before that happens. I do on awakening, I, I read that. Actually, what I do is I record those and I listen to it. Um, 
So I do on awakening, on acceptance, not just the first paragraph, but the second one I found so much more insightful to you, but listen to both of those. A vision for you, nine step promises, um, a six step prayer, but that's in complimentary literature, but not, so I'm not going to talk about that. Um, the seventh step prayer, the 11th or St. Francis prayer, which I love, and it's just my instruction for actually taking this into practice and into the world. Um, so I do all that every day before I, I start. I call my sponsor at 8.45, and if I have reading to um, writing that I had done, I'll read that to her, and then we'll discuss it, or if something else is coming up, we'll discuss that as well. Um, and then when I get off the phone with her, uh, meditation is something that I do. Meditation is so crazy because it's something that, that will, I've seen evidence of it, and yet I can't be consistent with it. I'm trying. Um, so I'm meditating. Right now I'm meditating for 10 minutes. Um, and I don't do anything special with it. I just sit there in silence. Um, and then I'll do, if I'm working, like right now I'm working on step nine, but I'm working from the workbook. Um, we do the AA, then the 12 and 12, then the OA, 12 and 12, and then the workbook. And I'm doing it on step 11 right now. So I'm working in the meditation and prayer aspect. Um, and then... Reading, sometimes we'll read together on the phone, and then I'll be writing on it, and then I'll call her with the, with that writing. And that's pretty much what I do. As well as what I do is sometimes I do meditation in the car. Sometimes I do my prayers, you know, surrendering prayer right up before I go into a stressful situation. And so I try to be in contact with God, my higher power that I call God, more than just the period of time in the morning. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. It's changed. How do I define my abstinence? How has it changed over the course of my recovery? It changed. It used to be no binging. And to me, it was, I mean, I've heard other people say, what is that? That's not an abstinence. But to me, I knew what a binge was. I understand nobody else did. It's hard to know. But... When I started working with my current sponsor, it was defined as my meal plan was part of my abstinence, which is three meals and up to two optional snacks, no recreational sugar, no white flour, no green grapes. Um, I think that's it. I think those were the only the only things that I had. And so, you know, if anything, so we did an abstinence was very clear to know whether I'd broken it or not. So it's, did I have more than three meals or two optional snacks? Did I have white? Did I have sh- recreational sugar? Did I have white flour? If I did, like I don't care how much I had, I broke my abstinence. And so, um, yeah, that's how it's become the road had narrowed, and I've been doing that for about three years, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. One minute. Thank you.